Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. All right, so thank you all. Welcome, Rescue Church, tonight. Glad you're all here. I'm excited to, to share a few things that God's been teaching me this last uh, few days. So let's... Um, Let's open us up in a little prayer. God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, that your words um, would, uh, would speak through me, God. That you would, um, that I get out of the way, that you would speak, and they would fall in receptive hearts, Lord. And that uh, you would just show us what real hope is. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, this isn't my usual forte. I usually like the one-on-one type settings, but... Um, speaking on stage, I guess we'll, we'll give it a shot, so, so bear with me. Um, I want to talk tonight about real hope. Um, the dictionary defines hope as a feeling of expectation, a desire for a certain thing to happen, or a feeling of trust. The Bible talks a lot about hope as well. Um, Paul talks about hope when he talks about love in Corinthians. <clears throat> he talks about faith, hope, and love as being the three greatest things, and they're intertwined. Solomon talks about hope in Proverbs when he talks about um, a hope deferred makes the heart sick. As we look around this world, um, it doesn't take much to see a lot of hopelessness. Um, You turn on the TV, you don't have to watch too long in the news to find another tragedy. More suicides, homicides, drug abuse, all these things um, that are just, I think, part of this hopelessness that we see in our culture. You know, but it's not just the people in the news. It's us, too. Uh, we put our hope in a lot of things that end up leaving us hopeless. We put our hope in our job, and one day we show up and we realize that we don't have a job anymore, and we lose hope. We put our hope in our marriage, and we want our spouse to bring his happiness their whole life, and we find out that they won't, and we're hopeless. We put our hope in our health, and our age, and then we one day look in the mirror and find out that we're not as young as we used to be, and uh, maybe the, the days that we have lived are probably more than the days we have left. Or we go to the doctor's office, and we walk out with a, a bad diagnosis, and, and we're left hopeless. So I want to talk about true hope that doesn't depend on our circumstances. It's a hope that sustains us in those dark times. So, I think it starts with two questions. And the first question is a question that that Jesus asked Peter about 2,000 years ago. And I believe Jesus is asking us the same question today. Uh, It's found in Matthew 16, 13 through 18. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who... Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So, Jesus asked that question to Peter, who do you say that I am? And there was a lot of opinions about who Jesus was back then, and there was a lot of opinions about who Jesus is today. Um, 
I would say probably the most common response that, that I get when I ask this question or that you can find by asking people is that he was a good guy. He did good things. He was a nice, a nice person. <clears throat> and, and that's partially true. I mean, he was a nice person and did some good things. But obviously he was more than that. And he never claimed to be just a good person. He claimed to be the son of God. So let's look at a couple of verses of who Jesus actually claimed that he himself was. Let's look at Matthew 26, 62 through 65. So this is when Jesus was on trial before he was crucified. The high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under the oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to you, all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore their clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. So Jesus right there claimed that he was the Son of God. And in Daniel seven thirteen through 14, this is Daniel's vision of Jesus. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a man like a son of man, and Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man quite a bit. I think referring to this verse in Daniel, too. Um, coming like the clouds in heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, and I was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So, when you start putting hope in something that doesn't isn't determined by your circumstances, a kingdom that never will be destroyed. You start having some hope that wells up inside of you. So in the remaining time that I've left, I want to talk about three different situations, three different people that really experienced true hope that came through Jesus, that answered the same question that Peter did of, of who Jesus was as they encountered him. Um, so the first story is found in Luke 2, 8 through 20. So you probably recognize this story. This is the Christmas story. You've probably heard it a hundred times, but it's a powerful story, and I think sometimes we read it so much that we kind of skip over things and just don't really think about the true meaning. But I really want to focus on the perspective of the shepherds um, tonight. So there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Son of the Lord. This will be a sign to you. He will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things in their heart. So a few things um, that I really want to pull out about this encounter. So 
the shepherds were just ordinary guys. Nothing was special about them. By society standards, they had really done nothing. They had no wealth. They had no power. They had no status. <clears throat> they really had, had really nothing that the world would deem as important. But they were ordinary people. And I wonder if at times they got kind of stuck in the mundane life that we sometimes get stuck in, a routine. I mean, they spent their lives watching sheep, which is probably as exciting as it sounds. Um, so they had to ask themselves, I wonder, is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than watching sheep all day? You know? But then something amazing happened. They experienced the glory of heaven. And I love what the angels said first. When the very first introduction we have to Jesus is Savior. It wasn't judge or king or lawgiver. It was Savior. And, and it was for all glory, for all world. And so that was the start of it. And then they went to see Jesus, and it doesn't say much about really their encounter with Jesus, but it talks about how their lives changed as a result of that encounter. They were glorifying and praising God. They told everybody they knew about it. So what was it that changed in them? I think they saw that, that their lives mattered to God, that, that they were important. Um, and I think that they saw that, that even though that they were maybe just average people, like God so cared about them. I think that's the beauty of the stable and the, and the shepherds is that Jesus came for all people. Doesn't matter your culture, doesn't matter your status, doesn't matter any of that thing, any of those things. God came because he loved all of us. So that's, I think, what, what gave them hope. They encountered Jesus, they encountered that love that God had for them, and, and it changed their lives. The second encounter is Zacchaeus. Um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Um, I could go on and, and sing that if you wanted, but I don't think you want me to do that. Um, but you heard the, uh, the story about Zacchaeus probably in Sunday school, and it's a nice, cute little story. But the more I look at Zacchaeus, um, it's a really powerful story of, of real hope. Um, so let's look at it. Luke 19, 1 through 9. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. All right. So a little backdrop for this story. So in case you didn't know, tax collectors weren't the most popular people of this time. They collected taxes from their own people, the Jews, to give to the Roman government who was oppressing them. Um, so they were kind of looked at as traitors, for one. Um, not only were they traitors, but they were also usually thieves. So they would, you know, they would take taxes from the people and they would 
put half of them in their own pockets and they would give part of the money to the Roman government. So Zacchaeus wasn't a very popular guy by standards, but he was wealthy and he was successful because it says he was very wealthy. So he obviously had a lot of money and maybe probably status from that tax collecting status that he maybe felt. But he was still missing something in his life. He was still lacking hope. Um, so he wanted to see Jesus. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it was that he heard that Jesus healed the sick, that he raised the dead. Maybe it was that Jesus, he had heard that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. And, <clears throat> and so maybe he thought, maybe there is hope for me if I find Jesus. So, so he went to see Jesus. He couldn't see him, so he climbed up this tree. And it said there was a great crowd around Jesus. But despite that crowd, Jesus notices Zacchaeus, and he looks him in the eye. And the beauty of this story is in what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, you're a terrible person. I can't believe you did all this. He doesn't give him a list of a bunch of rules or things that he should do and then, then come and find me. He doesn't condemn him. He loves him. And he meets him where he's at, shows him mercy, and has lunch with him. And after, after Zacchaeus experiences that love and that mercy that Jesus had for him, his life changes. Notice what he calls Jesus. He calls him Lord. And then his life changes. He sells half of what he has and he gives to the poor. So you have to have a heart change before you can have a change in your actions. And that all started because he understood that Jesus loved him, that he mattered to Jesus. He experienced real hope because of that. And he was never the same. So the last example I want to look at is in Luke 23, 32 through 43, the thief on the cross. So one of my favorite stories because of the simplicity of it, and, and I can relate to the thief, not because I'm a, you know, a thief or because I have committed a terrible, heinous crime that I'm on death row for, but because I, like the thief, need a savior, and we all need a savior. We can't <clears throat> do it on our own. So let's read it. Luke 23, 32 through 43. So two other men, both criminals, were also led out to be executed. Um, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came and mocked him, and they offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was written a notice above him which read, This is king of the Jews. But one of the criminals who hung there, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what we are getting, but our deeds deserve. For this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So if anybody had reason to be hopeless, it was the thief. Literally, on death row, hours left to live, <clears throat> he had to be pretty hopeless. And it's interesting with the thief, there was a change in heart. I didn't put this scripture up there, but 
If you read Matthew's account of the crucifixion, he said both thieves hurled insults at Jesus. So that something happened with the thief between the start of the crucifixion and the end of the crucifixion where he goes from hurling insults at Jesus like everybody else to actually coming to Jesus' defense. And it's interesting, nobody else came to Jesus' defense. Um, I mean, he had, the Bible says there was, you know, four people there, John, his mother, and, and the two Marys. None of the else of the disciples, nobody else that he had healed, um, they were all nowhere to be found. But in Jesus' last hours, um, a simple thief comes to his defense. So how did he go from insults to coming to Jesus' defense? And even going deeper than that, how did he actually come to call on Jesus' name for salvation? From going from insulting that. And I wonder if it was because he saw how Jesus forgave the same people that were crucifying him. That nailed him to that cross. That were gambling away his only possessions that he had left on this earth. I wonder if the thief thought, if Jesus, <clears throat> if Jesus can love them and forgive them, maybe he can forgive and love me. <clears throat> so he asked Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And Jesus says, sorry man, it's too late. You did too much. Your sin's too great. Can't do it. Maybe if you would have went to church more, maybe if you would have <clears throat> obeyed the rules more, did more good than bad. But that's not what Jesus said. He looks at him, he loves him, forgives him, and he gives him eternal life. Case closed, end of discussion. So if there's hope for the thief, there's hope for us. That encounter that he experienced, that, that amazing picture of love on the cross, the thief realized that it was for him too. And it's for us. In John 3.16, we all probably know that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I love the second part of this verse too. We kind of don't <clears throat> really quote that much, but for God not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So God, or Jesus didn't come pointing a finger and condemning he came to save. All we have to do is ask. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So is he your Lord? Have you trusted him as your Lord? doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. All you have to do is ask and realize that that cross was for you. He died for you. So the second question that I want to answer, the second question that I think real hope comes through is, um, is the question of, of who am I and, and why am I here? I think that's a question that, that, I, that everybody has to ask themselves that. And I think we can get a pretty good explanation in Genesis 1.27 when God said, For God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And then in Psalms 139.13-14, through 14, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So who, who are you? You're God's creation. So I think more of the question should be, so whose are you? You're God's. 
And I think when you start resting in that fact that, that you're his, that, that he made you, you're his masterpiece, that he doesn't make mistakes, that starts to bring hope, that starts to change things. And the second part of that question is, is why am I here? Like the shepherds asked, is there more to life than this? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Well, I can't tell you your specific purpose in life, but I can tell you what God's purpose for you is, his general purpose. And according to Ephesians 1.4 in the message translation, it's this. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind and settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. He, we're here for God. We're here so that he can show us love. We're the focus of his love. And I think when we rest in that, it's a pretty powerful thing. Let's look at Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. So God delights in you. He rejoices over you. And that's a pretty powerful thing, that just to, to really feel the weight of, that the God of creation cares about you. God of creation rejoices over you and desires a relationship with you. So I think when we start realizing that that is our purpose, that's why we're here, the focus of God's love, the relationship with God, we start having a hope. And the great thing about that is that it doesn't depend on us. Like, we don't have to be perfect. Like, that love doesn't change. Um, regardless of what we do or don't do. So do you have that real hope that's found in Jesus that, that comes through, through trusting in him as, as Lord? Have you answered that question, who do you say that I am? Is he your Savior? If not, call on his name. And then are you resting in the fact that your life has meaning and purpose because God created you, loves you, and desires a relationship with you? Um. And then if you have that, if you're resting in that, are you, what are you doing to create this relationship? Are you spending time with God, reading his word? Are you praying? That's how relationships develop, spending time with that person. So if you have this real hope, too, that we claim we have, like, are we bringing it to people? Because there's a world that desperately needs it. And it's not about having it all together, and it's not about having the right words. And it's not about giving people a list of rules that they need to follow. It really is as simple as bringing people the love of Jesus, letting them see Jesus in you. And that's where change happens, and that's where real hope that brings a life transformation really happens. So, so those are my questions for you guys. Is, do you have this real hope that comes through Jesus? Are you resting in that fact? that you are God's and that he loves you and are you bringing this hope to others? So, so in closing, I, I got a little video that I just want you guys to kind of listen to and watch. It's just a powerful song about God's love and it's got some other kind of pastors too that are kind of giving some, um, I don't know, some, some talks about it too. So um, thank you and uh, let's listen to this video. Get saved because then you won't. And I got saved and kept on doing so then where am I supposed to go? Because apparently Jesus doesn't work for me. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. We'll, 
to work through this. But I'm not letting you go in the meantime. Oh, we'll get there. I'll finish it. I started it. I'll be faithful to finish. Don't give up. Keep walking. Keep pressing in. Keep confessing. But don't give up. I'll heal you. I won't let you go. There is no one who can condemn you. I don't. And if I don't, no one can. Who will even bring a charge against you? Your mind. What court could they possibly charge you in? Everything's mine. And he is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending wind and mercy when all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh that God in eternity looked upon me foreseeing my fallenness, my pride, my sin and said, I want that man in my family. I'll do anything to get him in my family. I will pay for him to be in my family with my son's life. That's love, folks. That is mega, off-the-charts love. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree. Building me the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. That, that's why. We've got this weird compartmentalization thing that happens where you don't think that God sees all that you are or that if he could have somehow knew who you were going to be, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. Um, listen, God knew you were going to be messy. Uh, Christ knew that you were going to be messy. God, God knows that you're going to screw up often. He knows that you're going to be drawn to things that are wicked. He knows that's what the cross is all about. It's the whole point of the cross is that you're going to fail and you're going to stumble and you're going to feel dirty and you're going to feel awkward. And you're gonna, the whole point of the cross of Christ is there be this mighty picture of his love and pursuit of you despite you. So the cross is necessary because of you, but it's also the picture we have of just how far God is willing to go because he loves you.
I'm not bitter against the church. I just think somehow we've got off and there's all this talk about morality and people are conforming themselves to these moral codes, but they don't know Jesus. Who cares? It's the resurrection of Christ that justifies. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so big. It proves that all the wrath of God was poured out. It's gone. For the elect, it's gone. There is no more wrath. There's, there's none. So Jesus sees you and he's like, my son, my daughter, perfect, spotless, blameless. for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv.